Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 22. Uh, You can read along with me if you'd like to in your bulletin. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will. For all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. So John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And what should we do? And he said, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into its granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. A couple of months back after the death of my uncle, I was sitting with my mother in my uncle's house looking through some old family heirlooms. She was trying to identify certain things to me to let me know which pieces of furniture were old family heirlooms and which pieces were probably things we should take to the thrift store. And we were also looking through some old photos, photos from years and years ago of my grandparents and my great-grandparents. And I thought for a while that I would be able to identify a lot of those people in that photo, but oddly enough, I really didn't know anyone. In fact, there was a portrait that had been hanging in my uncle's house. For the longest time, I thought it was my grandfather, and my mom corrected me and said, no, that's your Uncle Tom. And there were other photos there. There was another photo up there that I thought was my grandfather, Samuel Grady Diller, who I'm named after Samuel, but my mother corrected me and said, no, that's your other great-grandfather. There were other pictures as well, and I could slowly, as the pictures got closer and closer in time, I could slowly pick out certain people and say, that looks like you, Mom, as a child, and that looks like my Uncle Steve as well. But then finally we got to one picture, and there was a little baby in the picture, and she pointed to it, and she said, do you know who that is? 
And I guessed my brother Alex or my cousin Travis, and she said, well, no, that's you. I did not recognize myself in my own photo. Now, you might think, well, that's pretty natural, actually, as a baby. We don't always recognize pictures of ourselves from long ago, but I have to tell you, that's happened to me recently as well. I've seen pictures of myself or images of myself from odd angles, and I've looked at it and thought, who in the world is that? And then I realized, oh my goodness, that's me. In fact, it happened in a mirror the other day. I was in Walgreens, just down the corner here, and as you know, Walgreens has large mirrors up at the, the top of the back wall, and as I was walking down one of the aisles, I looked up in the mirror, and I saw a man who looked like he had a spare tire around his stomach. And I felt sorry for that man. I thought, oh my goodness, that guy needs to work out. And then I realized that man was wearing the same shirt that I was wearing. And then I felt really sorry for that man because I realized it was me. Sometimes we see images of ourselves, but we don't even recognize ourselves. And then we realize that the person that we think we are and maybe the person that we see are two separate things. Over the past last week and over the next few weeks, in fact, we are uh, doing a sermon series called Sermon Selfies, where we're trying to look for ourselves in Scripture, to look at the characters in the Scripture, and to try to, to identify with one of those characters, to resonate with one of the characters, not only to try to learn from the, the lessons that that character is learning, but also so that we can learn ourselves about who we are called to be as Christians. But as I read this passage this morning, this week, as I was reading it and preparing for this sermon, I had a hard time recognizing myself in this passage. After all, as you know, this is really the Luke's version of the baptism of Jesus Christ. It's similar to other versions, but in Luke's version, it begins with a, a hellfire sermon by John the Baptist. I don't think anybody would accuse me of being like John the Baptist. I am far more like Mr. Rogers than John the Baptist. I have a hard time preaching hellfire sermons, and in fact, I think there was a, year, a, a sermon several years back where I tried to read a few lines from Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, thinking with my, my biggest growl in my voice, and instead of any kind of fear throughout the congregation, there was just more pity for the speaker, I think. I just couldn't pull it off. So I am not John the Baptist in this passage, and, and maybe you aren't either. But once we eliminate John the Baptist, it's hard to see ourselves in some of the other characters. I'm not King Herod as well. The crown would never fit my big old head. There's Jesus, of course, and we always can see ourselves in Jesus. We're going to get to him in just a minute. But if we're not King Herod and we're not John the Baptist, that only leaves one other group of people that we could be. Maybe we are the crowd. The crowd that John the Baptist is preaching to. There's a whole group of people that John the Baptist is preaching to, this hellfire sermon calling for people to repent. And so if we are the crowd in this story, then that means John the Baptist is calling for us to repent as well. Now the good news is, sigh of relief, we've already repented this morning. We read the confession of sins. In fact, we were so nice, we write it out for you every single week. You can come and you can say you're sorry every single Sunday. But John the Baptist tells us that there is a lot more to repentance than that. It's a lot more than just, I'm sorry and I'm sad for what's happened. John the Baptist tells us repentance should bear fruit. He wants to see the fruit of our repentance. 
What repentance truly means and what John the Baptist is calling us to do is to make a change. It's to turn our mind. The word in Greek is metanoia. It literally means turn our minds from one direction to the other direction. As the old adage says, a runner who is running a race can never win no matter how much exertion they are offering if they are pointed in the wrong direction. We have to turn and start heading in the right direction no matter how far behind we might feel like we are. That's what John the Baptist calls us to do. And if we truly repent, then we will see fruit from our repentance. Let me give you a little example. Some of you who are ESPN fans might know the, the documentary series 30 for 30. Well, there, years ago, there was a, a documentary about a young basketball player from Chicago named Benji Wilson. I've watched it several times. He was, in 1984, he was the number one high school basketball player in the country. He was, had offers from every school in the country. People loved Benji and wanted to be around Benji. He was a superstar, even at an early age of, of 18. But one fateful day, before he could go to college, he was shot and killed on the streets of Chicago. As the story goes, another young man, another man named Billy Moore, who didn't even go to his school, had come, cut school, and gone over to Billy's school to, to find a resolution for a little matter of $10 between him and another friend. Well, when he got to that school and saw what was going on, apparently the, the $10 had been already settled, and so he didn't have to worry about that. And so he stayed and hung around and was hanging out with some of his other friends when, by happenstance, he bumped into Benji Wilson. They got into an argument there on the street, and Billy pulled a gun and killed him. From that moment on, the story for me really is about Billy Moore. Billy, who at the age of 18 was sentenced to 40 years in prison for shooting and killing Benji Wilson. But after 20 years, he was paroled. And during that time that he was in prison, instead of becoming bitter at all the things that had happened in his life, all the things that led to that moment, instead of becoming bitter about the, the injustice he felt like he experienced in the system, he instead decided things need to change. The place where I live needs to change, and the mistakes that I made need to be change for those people around me. And so after 20 years of being in prison, he went back to the same streets of Chicago where he had lived and became a violence interrupter. That was his job, where he would go and talk to people in gangs and talk to kids on the street, talk to them about the problems and the violence around them and how to make better choices in their lives so that they didn't have to go through what he went through. And believe it or not, on February 14th of last year, Benji Wilson's brothers met with Billy Moore 36 years after their brother was killed, and they forgave him, and even left calling him their new brother. The fruit of repentance. It's not just about saying I'm sorry and I'm sad, but it's about doing something different, changing your life, working for something in response to your apology, moving in the right direction, heading for something new so that not only people will know that you're sorry, but that you're trying to change the world in response to your repentance. That's what repentance is about. That's what John the Baptist wants us to do. But for most of us, it's very hard to see that gap that lies within us between the person that we think we are and the person that we actually are. 
In that crowd that day, there might have been many Billy Moores standing around listening to John the Baptist, but I don't really consider myself one of those folks. Sure, I've got mistakes, but it's far more easier for me to point out the mistakes in other people, to point out the gaps in other people's lives rather than pointing out the gap in my own life. It's far safer for me to point out your problems, your mistakes, rather than pointing out my own. For truly, we all have gaps in our lives between that person that we think we are and the person that we want to be. And Holy Scripture is there as a mirror to hold it up and help us to see those gaps. But like I say, it's safer to point it out in others than in ourselves. Maybe over the past year, maybe over the past week, you have recognized that gap in people around you or maybe even in the country around us. I have to say, I have looked out my window and looked at my television step time and time again over the past year and realized that there is a gap between who we claim to be and who we actually are. And it's far easier for me to just retreat back to the people who love me and care about me and accept me for who I am and point to those people who are doing it wrong rather than to turn those eyes and that magnifying glass on myself and see how I can be better. Because we are so far from who God wants us to be. We are so far from who we claim to be as a nation, or even as a church, or even as God's children. And what a gift it would be to be able to step out of ourselves, to look at ourselves in the mirror, to somehow be able to to go 20 years in the future and look back on our lives and realize how the actions that we do every single day, big actions and small actions, actually affect the people around us. What a gift it would be if we could just step out of ourselves for a minute and to see that gap for ourselves to see how we, the way we live our lives, are hurting those other people around us rather than simply pointing to the way other people are hurting us. There's an old parable about Alfred Nobel who had the opportunity to do that. You might remember Alfred Nobel. He was the person who invented dynamite. He he invented it years and years ago and, and literally gave the power to create or destroy right in people's hands. They were able to, to blow things up just with that power of dynamite. Well, as the story goes, his brother passed away, and he, a few days after his brother's death, he opened up the paper to read his brother's obituary. But apparently, the person who wrote the obituary from the newspaper thought it was Alfred who died instead of his brother. And so he wrote an obituary for Alfred Nobel called The King of Dynamite. And as he read that story and read what people really thought about him, the legacy that he was leaving as the inventor of this explosive material, this material that could destroy buildings and destroy people in a matter of seconds, he realized, that's not who I want to be. He saw the gap between who he thought he was and who he actually was. And he spent that moment on trying to change that. He started taking a lot of that money that he had had gained and and using it to to create awards for people all over the world who had done things to build the world up rather than tear it down. And that's where we get the Nobel Prize for technology and science, the Nobel Prize for literature, and the Nobel Prize for peace. All because this person had the courage or maybe the opportunity 
to take a long, hard look at himself and realize that he was not who God had called him to be. What a gift it would be if we had that opportunity too, to see the ways that we hurt other people, to see the ways that we're not courageous, to see the ways that we fall short, to see the size of the gap that is in our own lives. And I have to believe that gap is there. If I believe those people around me who tell us every day that they are hurting, if I I believe those people around me that tell me every day that my actions are hurting them, I have to believe that there is some difference between what I see and what other people see. If only we had the opportunity to have that 2020 vision to see ourselves the way we need to see ourselves. Well, that's where we get to the last person in our passage. Because you see, that's who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ not only fully reveals to us who God is, but Jesus Christ also fully reveals to us what it means to be fully human. Jesus Christ is that mirror for us, that standard for us, that we're supposed to hold ourselves up to that mirror and realize how far that gap is between who I am and who Jesus Christ is. And no, there's no doubt none of us can be Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a great mystery in some respect as to why Jesus felt like he needed to be baptized at all. We believe Jesus Christ to be sinless, that there was no repentance necessary. But I dare say Jesus Christ did that to model for us what happens when we dare to repent. What happens to us when we dare to say I'm sorry and try to change our lives for the better. Because what happened to Jesus is what all of us want. When Jesus came up out of that water, Jesus Christ heard the words that every single person in this world dare to hear, want to hear. You are my child, and I love you. When we repent, We hear those words for the first time. And let me be clear, it's not because God has not been crying out those words to us again and again. It's because until we repent, our ears are plugged up and we can't hear it. Until we repent and realize how far we have fallen, it is then and only then that we can realize what God has been trying to tell us our entire life. That God loves us so. I've told you this story before, and I've, I've told you many times that I, for a brief period of time, worked as a prison chaplain in a prison down outside of Atlanta. I remember the greatest lesson that I learned while I was there was that I was not called to be a prison chaplain. But the first couple of weeks that I was there, I went into the prison thinking, my job as a chaplain is to shine grace and forgiveness on all of these people in the prison. They've suffered enough, you know. They're already feeling guilty about what they've done. And my job is to to show them God's love. But after the first couple of weeks, I realized as much as I thought that was a wonderful gift and a wonderful thing to, to share with them, most of them weren't that interested in hearing that. They wanted to share with me, the chaplain, their frustrations, their problems, their pain, their anger at the system, and there are probably many of those things that were pretty valid. But for me, it was frustrating to me. I was offering them this gold, this opportunity to to be overjoyed at God's grace and love, and they just simply didn't want to hear it. 
So I went to the chaplain there, Chaplain Bishop, who had been there for over 40 years, and I explained to her my, my frustration. And she said, Brad, maybe instead of talking to them about grace, you should talk to them about repentance. And I said, repentance? I, I don't want to talk to them about repentance. I don't want to make them feel guilty. They're already feeling bad living here in this prison. And she said to me, Brad, repentance is not just about understanding who you are. Repentance is about learning who God is. Because only when we realize how much we need God's love do we catch a glimpse at how much God loves us. Only when we realize how far we have fallen away from the person that God has called us to be do we realize how far God is willing to reach out to us to tell us God loves us so. Repentance is not about wallowing in that self-revelation. Repentance is about rejoicing in the goodness of God and finally hearing the words that we long to hear. You are my child. You are the one I love. And once we hear that for ourselves, then we can do what God wants us to do every single day. Not to hide behind our own walls and hide behind those people that we somehow feel safe with, but to go out and cross those boundaries and not tell people they're wrong, but tell people they are loved. To tell them once again that you are God's child and I'm sorry if I have treated you differently than that. You are God's child and God loves you and even though you're my enemy, God calls me to love you. You are God's child, and I have to love you. I need to love you, not just for your sake, but for my sake. Because you know why? I realize, finally, that I am loved. When we realize that, and we start to live that way, and we start to open our ears not just to the voice of God, but to the voice of those people around us who are hurting, who are in need, who have been oppressed or, or suppressed or are persecuted for so long, when we start to open our ears with sympathy and compassion and empathy, then something will happen. We'll start to see some fruit. Fruit of our repentance. Fruit of our faith. Fruit of God's love for us all to the glory of God. Amen.